In this lesson, we'll look at the principle outlined in Rylands and Fletcher, which states that where an occupier brings or accumulates something dangerous for an unnatural use of land, which escapes and causes damage, court will infer a nuisance having occurred. Now, this is a pure extension of the thought of nuisance, and in many academic programs, has a dedicated section onto itself. So as such, we'll have a look at it in turn and we'll break down the definition into its pieces and have a look at it in turn. First of all, we must determine who exactly an occupier is. Now, if you would recall in nuisance, there were a certain set of people that could be sued and who can sue for that matter. And the key element here is that it must be an owner of land a person who has sufficient control. In Rylands, this fact is translated as in Smith and Scott, where it's noted that the defendant must control the land. Even the road itself can be under the control of someone at any given point of time, as has been seen in Rigby. The defendant must also bring or accumulate something onto his own premises. The key aspect here is that it must be dangerous, but we'll look at that a bit later. Whatever that has been brought or accumulated must be for an unnatural use of the land. This can be looked at in several different ways. It could be unnatural use of the land itself. It can be unnatural use of that which is being brought onto the land. But suffice to say, certain elements have been constituted as unnatural. For instance, chemicals in Cambridge Water and Eastern Counties Leather. Natural growth, however, is considered not liable, much like in Giles and Walker. But where it is poisonous, it probably is considered unnatural, as was held in Crowhurst and Amersham. It must also be considered that public policy requires a lot of thought in relation to violence. For instance, in Transco and Stockport, court held that it is not considered unnatural if it benefits everyone. For instance, in Transco, it related to a pipe carrying water to a greater community. Whatever that is constituted as unnatural must also escape. Escape can be looked at in different ways. Firstly, it can be something which is accidental or it can be intentional. Whatever it might be, it must be onto the claimant's land. Whatever that has been occurring within the defendant's land must have spilt over or reached the claimant's land in some form and caused damage. Now, when we think about damage, we need to realize that Rylands is a strict liability offense. What does that mean? Well, even if the possibility of escape was not foreseeable, there can be liability imposed. So the actual act of it occurring itself reprimands the defendant. We must now look at the most important element to determine if a Rylands-type claim can be sustained, and that is what amounts to dangerousness. It's not as clear-cut as thinking of it in the context of chemicals or explosives. For instance, in Bachelor and Turnbridge, gas was considered dangerous. In Hale and Jennings, a chairplane was considered dangerous. In National Telephone and Baker, electricity was considered and as we looked at earlier, in Crowhurst and Amersham, poisonous branches were considered dangerous. All of these cases and more are available in your case summaries. I urge you to have a look at the facts and the judgment so that you have a clearer picture as to what 
occasions constitute a Rylance-type claim. Before we move on, we must have a look at what defences are allotted to a defendant in relation to Rylance. Firstly, something that we looked at earlier as well in Transco and Stockport, where the Rylance-type nuisance that's claimed is of common benefit, as in a water pipe carrying water for a whole community. On the other hand, where there is a common enemy, as in, if the accumulation was a reasonable response to a threat to both the defendant and the claimant, then court will hold the defendant not liable, as was the case in Ascot and Coal Authority. Have a look at that case as well to figure out what common enemy signifies. It might be a defence if there is some partial fault of the claimant itself, or if the claimant is abnormally sensitive. Recall that unreasonableness in relation to private nuisance also was determined based on sensitivity in certain instances. In this case, however, a good case to look at is Eastern Telegraph and Cape Town tramways. Act of God or force majeure might also be another defence for the defendant, where if the defendant took all precautions possible, he may not be held liable. Now, you need to understand that this particular defence has to be taken in line with the strict liability aspect of Rylands as well. If you recall, we discussed earlier that even if the possibility of the escape is not foreseeable, the defendant might be found liable. So, have a read-through of Nichols and Marsland and understand why the court held with the defendants in this case. Finally, in relation to the act of God, it must be noted that if the defendant changed the environment in some way, act of God will not apply, as was in Greenock and Caledonian Railway. That was a principle as laid out in Rylands and Fletcher, an interesting extension of the tort of nuisance.